Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sunday, 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 Sunday with Dr. Sean. Fear, what in the world are you afraid of? This is the second part in the series, so if you didn't, if this is your first time joining us anywhere in the world, or or obviously here, I don't see any new people here, but or if you have memory issues and you forget that last week uh, we talked about this, first you can listen to it for free. Go to the ninjapastor.com, the the ninjapastor.com, and you can download it for free. I'm also on iTunes, Dr. Sean Greener. Also, if you go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninjapastor. You can subscribe, and all of these will be sent to you for free if you opt in. We will not spam you, mostly because I don't know how to spam people. But I wouldn't spam you anyway. So fear, what in the world are you afraid of? Where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? Just a quick announcement for everybody. My uh, my good friend Chris Cahalan, he is, tomorrow is his... Uh, he goes, no, he doesn't have the procedure. I got that wrong. He goes tomorrow to get an MRI or, or some sort of specialized test to determine if uh, the chemo has done enough. And if it's done enough, then they'll schedule him for surgery. So he's still in chemo, but so far it appears as though he's he's uh, it, it's, there's some shrinkage of the tumors and all that. So we're going to keep praying for that. And then afterwards, we're going to have several uh, really important announcements. But uh, one of the things, and we'll have prayer afterwards. See, if you were here, you get to pray with us. But you're not here, so you miss out. And by the way, the food today, ridiculous. I say it every week. But this week, what do we have? Because it's our dear friend. That's right, ice cream first. We didn't play around. Ice cream cake. And And our brother is overseas. He's on his way to the Middle East. And we're going to pray for him. But it's... Your wife had a birthday yesterday, so uh, we are celebrating with a uh, birthday cake that she brought, an ice cream cake. That's rolling large, man. Oh, Susan, you brought it. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. That's a good move right there. That's all. That's a heart winner. Uh, but there's so much great food. There's homemade chili, not made on the manifold of your vehicle, I understand. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. we got all kinds of good soups. we got sandwiches. we got Swedish meatballs. We really have the whole the whole world covered here. But there's no halal. You can bet that. <laughs> we do have kosher. Amen. And welcome, folks, joining us in chat. We really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us. 
Uh, last week was wild. We had the most listeners we've ever had, just under 40,000 listeners, 30, 38,983 listeners. So praise God. And then Monday's show, uh, Monday show was right about 500,000. So, oh, Monday show, what a cool thing. You're going to hear from a kid I've known. Thank you very much. Yeah, the feedback on last Monday's show was really good. But anytime you have Dave Perkins on, that guy is just plain sharp. He's just a sharp guy. And who else did I have? Anybody remember? That's right, Tiffany uh, Tiffany Rugner. She is my boss. She is uh, the editor in charge and one of the owners of uh, Right Wing News and the Minority Report blog, which I am now writing for. So every week, three articles a day, Monday through Friday. Uh, you will uh, you'll be able to just sign up for that again, no spam. And um, it's they don't call me the Ninja Pastor for nothing. And so my stuff is kind of hard hitting. So good luck with that. Uh, so this series, and 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 I chose this for a reason because this is <clears throat> this is a difficult thing. Living in this society, living in this world, is hard. There are things that promote fear all around us. I mean to tell you, we you can't barely turn on the television. Uh, I met a, a a lady last week, an elderly lady from another country who has never owned a television. Never owned a television ever in her life. And she's she doesn't fear. She's she's uh she reads books. She reads five books a month. That's a habit that got started when she was a kid. And in her family growing up, they um they didn't her name was Gretel. They didn't um they didn't have discussions about the shows or the Kardashians or Car Crashians or whatever. Um they talked about books. They talked about learning. They read the classics first and then they branched out. And uh, so it's kind of kind of a unique thing to see how people live. But what in the world are you afraid of? Different people are afraid of different things. Now this certainly isn't meant to be a counseling session. This is this is we gonna have church up in here. But church is good for the soul. In fact, that's the thing for the soul. Now let me say we went to church yesterday, um, and it was awesome and terrible at the same time. Uh, it's been a, a rough couple of months uh for me there's so many friends and family are just dying left and right it's really something uh but my uncle carrie uh lived lived and died not probably two or three miles from where i'm sitting right now and uh but his home going was something special yesterday that was something special it was it was really really something the thing that stood out to me was uh he was an ornery ornery man he was 79 i told you he was in the 70s he's 79 and uh, he lived to be the same age as my dad. My dad lived to be 79 in one day. That was my dad's goal. But he was a little further along in the 79th year. Well, Uncle Carrie was, uh, he he was ornery. Now, he had polio. He contracted polio. And I didn't know this until yesterday, that he was bedridden. He was completely paralyzed for two years. And then through therapy and love, through my grandmother, who, if you knew my grandmother, you would know that, you know, she's not going to play. She's no quarter. Nobody gets any quarter. And so she uh, worked on him, and eventually he could walk with crutches. Uh, and uh, but he he lived a very normal life. I would say even an extraordinary life. And just a fascinating thing. But the thing that really stood out to me was three things with him. And it's interesting that they stood out to me because of what we're preaching about this week. Um, 
he just was not afraid of anything. They flipped him and the, uh, two of his three boys, flipped a pickup truck, skidded on the roof. Now, this is a man who can't walk. He depended on crutches at that time to get him everywhere he was. And the boys were freaking out. They climbed out. They both climbed out through the driver's side window, about a two-foot opening, and they're just freaking out. And he says, what did he say? What are, you, what are you worried about? And uh, haven't you ever flipped in a truck before? That's what he says. Haven't you ever flipped in a truck before? Because he was a hot rodder. He he liked to build, you know, fast cars and, and drive them. And uh, it just it's the way he approached everything. Nothing really fazed him. And uh, then when he came to Christ, he he just didn't fear things. It's not that he was irresponsible in the way that, uh, you know, some folks say, well, you know, if if ISIS comes and, and kills me, well, I just figure it's the Lord's will. I'm going down fighting. That's me. That's my, you do what you want to do, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let some rounds fly, you know, and uh, take as many of them as I can. Well, that's just a fact. That's just how it is. That's, that's my approach. Not for everybody, but it's for me. So, <clears throat> and it's going to be for as many as I can reach out and touch. Cranium ventilation at a high rate of speed. So, all that said to say this, the other thing that really struck me is that uh, my Uncle Kerry, his Bible was sitting on the front table just, just by, the, uh, just by the, um, the lectern. What do you call those things now? Podium, I guess. I don't even know what you call them now. So anyhow, he, uh, his Bible, I mean, he taped it up. It was all taped together. There was tape on the outside of it. You can tell it was a home tape job, too. I mean, he really, he, yeah, he, he redneck garage. It, that's what they used to call my uh, cousins and all, and him used to build these street rods. And I mean to tell you, they still do build. I mean, they're really something. But he came up named Redneck. You all are a bunch of rednecks. And so they called it Redneck Garage. And they even spelled Redneck wrong. So, uh, but his Bible was there, and that was a, uh, as my professor, uh, Dr. Frazier, would say it was a well-read, red-letter edition. And I, I happened to notice how much oil from his fingers were on his pages. And I thought to myself, I said, so, now there's a man who lived with no fear. No fear at all. And in the course of his life, he so believed in what was in that book that he could live without fear. He was so sold out for cover to cover scripture, the word of God to man, that he just didn't have fear. But it was a juxtaposition. And if I would have, I, I was going to take a picture, but I thought, no, that'd be tacky. Um, but I was going to take a picture of, take a photograph of his crutches. His empty crutches were leaning against that same table or just by the table. And that Bible was there. And I thought to myself, because of his faith in what was in that word, those crutches didn't limit him. You didn't see him as a handicapped person. You really didn't. You just really didn't. I remember sometimes uh, they would go shopping. The ladies would go shopping, and, and Uncle Kerry would go along. But he would sit in the car, wouldn't he? Sit for hours. And he would read his Bible. He'd read books. He'd pray. He'd do whatever. But he was happy, and he was content. And you'd walk up to him, hey, Uncle, what you doing? Oh, I'm sitting here enjoying this beautiful day. It's something, isn't it? 
I said, yes, it is. It sure is something. And uh, I said, well, what do you, who all's in there? Oh, the ladies, the women, they're all in there. You know, Missy and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, they're in there. Oh, uh, you didn't want to go? Oh, no, I don't want any part of that. But you know, he came along because he wanted to be with everybody. He lived his faith. The other thing that stuck out to me about his memorial service is that so many people, when asked, you know, who will give a testimony, uh, testified to his enduring, real, just the faith that was at soul level. That was who he was, and that's why he impacted so many people. So many people said, you know, I've known this man my whole life. And that was his theme from day one of knowing him, was this is who he is. This is what he is. What a great guy. No, and then some lady, first I I had a little issue with this, but a lady been friends with him for 45 years, he and his wife said, you know, he wasn't without his faults. He wasn't without his faults. And at first I was a little offended that this lady would say this at church, but it's interesting to me. She said, she said, you know, one time she was talking uh, to Aunt Carol, and, and Aunt Carol was lamenting, oh, what happens if I go first? My goodness, what's he going to do without me? And she looked around and she said, Carol, you need to look around and see all these women in Uncle Carrie's life. These women care for this man. They'll take good care of him. And, you know, but not in a, you know, bad way, but in a good way. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved taking care of him. But the interesting thing is, is while you were caring for him, he was caring for you. So I said all that to say this. You know, this is something about fear. This is something about fear. He had no fear. He lived with no fear. You know, people that are afraid all the time, they're very hard to approach. Nobody wants to hang out with somebody that's scared all the time. What you scared of? You know, people don't waste a lot of time asking you what you're scared about. They just don't even pay any mind to it anymore, do they? They don't. They just move on. Unless they think what you're afraid of will affect them. As a Christian or as a follower of the way, people ask me what faith am I all the time, and I say I'm a follower of the way. What's that, some sort of cult? No, it's actually the original faith in Christ. But okay, uh, we don't have a fancy hat or any sort of secret handshake. But you know, we'll just roll with what we got. So <clears throat> here's the thing: nobody is drawn to your faith if you are not in victory over your fear. If if you, if you are just constantly afraid, no one's ever going to look at you and say, you know, I want to be a part of that. Whatever that person has, I want to be a part of it. I want to, I, I want to, your kids, your kids are never going to look at you and go, you know, mom or dad, they're a person of faith. Well, they, they worry all the time, but they're a person of faith. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? If you're a person of faith, your children, but you're a worry ward. You're not a warrior. You're a worrier. They see the worrier. And they say, if this faith is so great, why do they worry so much? Nobody wants to grab a hold of a faith that's filled full of worry. But they are attracted to people who are warriors. Warriors. What in the world are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? Listen, this series is sure to bless you and give you a better, more peaceful life while strengthening you for the challenges, the challenges ahead. In this series, I'm going to talk frankly and openly about the medical, physiological impact and effect of fear on the human body, the brain, the mental outlook of 
a human being experiencing fear. I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again this week. There's a great book called Stress for Success by Dr. James Lohr. Let me say this. I want to spell this for you because the reason why I'm spelling it is because I got a whole pile of comments last week and messages saying, hey, I can't find that book. I searched the author and I can't find it. His name is spelled kind of interesting. It's spelled L-O-E-H-R, Lore. It's pronounced Lore, but it's L-O-E-H-R. Stress for Success. He's also written a handbook. He's written some a 30-day thing, a follow-up to this book. He's written dozens of books, but this book is, is one of the most transformational books I've ever read in my life. It's a really, really powerful thing. And in Stress for Success, he, he's gonna talk, he talks a lot about, he goes in greater detail, and I'm going to go in tonight because I don't have three and a half hours. I only have two and a half. Um, just kidding. I only have about 42 minutes left. I'm going to also talk, uh, and this won't be tonight, but the potential sources of fears in the world. Maybe I will. Maybe I will talk about that tonight. The potential sources of fears in eternity. You say, oh, you said that last week, and I have to check you a little bit on that. I'm a little worried about what you're talking about because in eternity we're not supposed to have fears. But I'll say the second part, wherever you're prepared to spend eternity. There's one place you're going to go. Uncle Kerry is there today. Those crutches are empty because he is dancing in heaven with the Father. He no longer is tied to this earth and his earth tent. His his tent body is released to live a full and free life. Unbound, unrestrained. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of it. There's no limitation now. But there's another side to eternity, folks. You can say you don't want to hear about hell. People don't want to hear about A lot of churches, uh, they don't want to hear about hell. Listen, we don't preach about hell here. We preach about Jesus. We preach about the good stuff. We preach about the things that draw people to faith. You know what drew me to place at five years old? I was a weird five-year-old. I was reading vigorously at that. I was reading the PDR, Physician's Dex Express. I, yeah, I had one at a yard sale, and I was reading it. It was weird. I was a weird kid. I wanted to cure cancer. That was my goal. At five years old, this is what I thought. I want to I study and learn, and then I want to cure cancer. I want to be the guy that rids the world of this cancer thing. So, um, and clearly and obviously, I changed track. <laughs> but uh, I was a weird five-year-old, and I remember what brought me to that decision, the decision for Christ, the decision to place my faith in Christ was fear. I, I didn't want to go to hell. I heard all about hell. I saw this movie called The Burning Hell. And it was about two motorcyclists who were ripping rare and they were drinking on a back old country road and they crashed. And they show one of them walking into the church and sitting down. He's all kind of scraped up and think everything's normal. Turns out he was he was dead. And he was having a glimpse of what life could have been because his buddy was saved. He placed his faith in Christ and he went to heaven. And then he realized all too late. It's too late. Listen, you don't buy fire insurance when the flames are about ankle high, right? You buy it well in advance. I'm just saying this to say this. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm not one of those guys that preaches fear, uh, and that's the decision that you make is based on fear. But fear does motivate you. Being afraid of hell is, being afraid of God's judgment is a real thing. His righteous judgment, it's a real thing. For whatever reason, the world has rejected the notion of hell. And yet, if you go to the Middle East right now, there are Christians living a living hell. They're living a living hell. 
that we're allowing it to happen. So I talk about the potential sources of fears in the world, potential sources of fears in eternity, wherever you're prepared to spend eternity. And then I talk about the medical, physiological impact and effect of faith on the human body, the brain and the mental outlook of a human being experiencing life and living faith. The fear will increase as we enter further into the end times. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again this week. We are absolutely living in end times. Now, I'm not one of those ones that's going to put a a mark or a circle on a calendar day and say, oh, this is when it's going to happen. Amen? No, I don't do that. He says, you have work to do. Get to work. When it's time, there'll be time. We'll hear the trumpet sound, won't we? But these are the, the end times. These are We're living in the end times. Remember, the Scripture reveals to us in the Gospel according to Luke, men's hearts will stop from fear. We're told not to be afraid because we're, we, are, we are a people that are bought with a price. We're blood-bought. We're children of the Most High. We are children, sons and daughters of the King. Why in the world would we live with fear? But I don't say that in a, a casual way. One of our group is headed to the Middle East. It would be unnatural for us not to have fear, some healthy fear. And it would be unnatural for him to have some element of fear. You know, different things I've done in my life, uh, it, it is wise to have a healthy amount of fear. Going around a corner, you've got your gun at the ready, waiting for somebody to come around the corner. If you're just skipping through the daisies around the corner and you're not paying attention, you could lose your life. So you have to have some amount of fear, some amount of preparation. Preparation is what makes you able to go through the rapids of life, the tough stuff. Listen, we are told not to be afraid, but that isn't because there won't be things in this world worthy of fear. I don't sit here and say, listen, what are you all afraid of? Where's your faith? You just need to read your Bible more. Uh, I remember one of my degrees is in biblical counseling, and and uh, one of the things that, that used to drive me crazy is some folks would say, well, I'm a biblical, I counsel biblically. Pastors would say, well, I'm a biblical counselor, I'm, I counsel. And then I would ask them about this or that situation, or someone would get referred to me after they've been in front of this uh, completely and totally untrained counselor. And what this counselor would do is say, listen, you just don't have enough faith. What you need to do is read these Bible verses. That's what you need to do. You just need to read these Bible verses. That's what's wrong with you. You don't read your Bible enough. And that was the extent of the advice. Listen, there's plenty in this world to be afraid of. But that doesn't mean we are forced. We're we're not slaves to it. We don't have to be slaves to it. People say to me all the time, aren't you afraid? No. I'm really not. And, and I think if you know me any length of time, you know, I'm, I don't have a, a, what's that, rose-colored glasses? These are not rose-colored glasses I have on. I, I've lived a full, authentic life. And I can tell you, I know firsthand, probably more than many in this room, there's lots to be afraid of in this world. There's some bad stuff. But that doesn't mean because there is a lot to be afraid of, a lot of the unknowns, that we should be afraid. Where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? 
here to tell you. Reject the lies of the enemy and reflect on the promises of God. Remember this book, Stress for Success, Dr. James Lohr. So let's remember the physiological effects of fear. Fear whacks the body. Fear whacks the brain. Fear is whack, to quote my buddy in the back there. It's whack. Fear actually and physically damages the mind and body over time and in the moment. Listen, fear literally damages your brain. Fear literally damages your body. Fear literally robs you of your future. Because if you're living and acting out of fear, you're not reacting and acting appropriate to what the situation actually is. I'll talk more about that in a second. The devastating effect of fear on decision-making. Have you ever known anybody that was paralyzed by fear? Listen, I know somebody right now is one of the most capable people I know. And he's a ready aim, 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 aim. Dude, why don't you just pull that trigger? You're capable. There's nobody better than you. You can do it. God can do it. You and God can do it. God and you can do it. Don't live with this fear. Stop with the fear. You're, you've, you're capable. You're equipped. Get her done. Don't be afraid. Stop living in fear. But he's paralyzed. You ever hear that saying, uh, analysis paralysis? You ever hear that, anybody that's worked in the corporate world? Analysis paralysis, right? You're just so busy analyzing. Well, I just got a whiff of that chili. Good lands. Ooh, man. I know firsthand I've had some. I've had some. Last, last week or week before? Yum. Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Spice it up. Uh, make me sweat. See how that happens. Just, I smell food and I'm just rabbit. What's that, rabbit and that chili? So the, the decision-making uh, analysis paralysis, right? You can look at something a thousand different ways because you're afraid of making a wrong decision. You're afraid of making a wrong decision, so you make no decision at all. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's just sit here and think about it. Well, that big bear is coming. Well, I can't make a decision, so I'm just going to stay here. That tidal wave is coming. I can see in Japan when the tsunami hit. You guys remember that, right? How many of you watched the, the video of the people standing on the bridge watching a 500-foot wall of water. They stood there until almost the very last second. It was about 100 yards away, and they went, oh, wait, this is real. And they turned, and they just barely got turned before the wall of water took them to their death. And thousands more. you got to make a decision far further in the process. You know what? Sometimes we learn stuff by making the wrong decision. Did you know that? Sometimes we make the wrong decision and we pay the price. We make the wrong decision, we pay the price, and we learn. I call that tuition. I do. I call that tuition. I really do. I call that tuition. I've paid tuition. It cost me something. You know what? When I was, uh, I, I've had, uh, for 10 years, I was a registered investment advisor. And so I lived basically on, um, fee-based financial planning and estate and trust planning, or I would get paid a commission based on 
the item that I sold. Some some things you don't get paid a fee, you get a commission. So, but I remember sometimes spending my commission before I earned it because the person just ticked me off and I didn't want to deal with them anymore. And I just I tell them what I thought, tell them the truth, and that's <laughs> that was tuition. Some of that was expensive, but sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. You know what? I, I, one of the things I've learned, one of my professors, I won't say his name, Dr. Mullen, loves to give tests that are impossible to pass. How many of you in here, You've all, several of you have had Dr. Mullen? Listen, some of his tests, are you can't pass them. It's just a headache. Yeah, the limits of, yeah, exactly, of omniscience. So the thing is, is after the first test, test in my cohort, uh, you know, I'm sitting there going, oh, my lands, this is the worst grade I've ever gotten in my life. I used to have nightmares about a professor who I couldn't understand giving me, F. he said, F. you have 37. Sean Greener, you're dumb. You're so dumb. Get out of my class. I did. I had nightmares about it. So all of a sudden, I take, I take you know, one of, another one of Dr. Mullen's classes and everybody in the class. I mean, the highest grade was a 57. I think I got a 57. So, uh, and then he's just afterward, he's unfazed by it. We're like, and the point was, is the after effect of that utter and complete failure is that you are now open to be hungry for knowledge because you realize the cost of not being open to knowledge. Sometimes fear keeps us from learning, doesn't it? It keeps us from making a decision. And listen, it's medically proven that stuff washes over your brain when you're afraid. And it keeps you from making good decisions. The devastating effect of fear on on decision-making and the demoralizing and learned helplessness created by long-term fear. You become helpless over time. Why? Because you believe you're helpless. One example of that is the government creating an atmosphere of fear. Listen, the government wants you to be afraid of them. They don't want you to make a decision. They want you to say to yourself and, and, and to all your conservative friends or your constitution-minded friends, well, you let them try that and you see what we do. We'll do something then. When they do this, we'll do that. And, and over and over and over and over. By the way, welcome again to all the folks we have in chat. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because we say we're going to do something when this big thing happens. If this happens, then I will act. But then the if happens, and the never happening event is the then. We don't ever do it. We're paralyzed. One thing our founders weren't was paralyzed. They went up against the greatest army in the world the richest, greatest nation in the world, and a ragtag band invoking God as their commander, won our freedom. So fear is an example of linear stress. I want to I give you some, some, some terms here, linear and oscillation. Linear is, right, it's a line. It just goes like this, never goes up, never goes down. Never has a wave, never has the downslope, never has the trough. It's just, you might say, well, I like that. Some people tell me all the time, they say, they say uh, you know, Dr. Sean, I, I, don't, I don't want 
to have any stressors come into my life. I don't want any of that. I just want to live just, you know, it doesn't have to be too great, doesn't have to be too bad, just in the middle. I just want to live in the middle. That is an example of linear stress. Linear stress. So let's look at the medical, physiological impact uh, and effect of fear on the human body, the brain, and mental outlook of a human being experiencing fear. Linear stress is, let me give you some examples, just to see if any of these resonate with you. Chronic illness or pain. Can I get an amen? Right? There's somebody right there. It's fighting, 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 fighting all the time. Fighting, fighting, fighting all the time. Many of us fight all the time. Chronic illness or pain. Combat. Listen, there's nothing worse. There's nothing more strenuous. There's nothing more stressful than combat. You know, right now we're sending people. I know, I know a guy right now is going back for his, this is a different guy than was in this group, but a, a friend of mine from my past life, ninth combat tour. Ninth combat tour. Now, somebody in the audience just asked, did he ask for it? No, that's just the nature of his job. Never before in history have we ever sent people into combat that often and that close together. This administration is not giving our soldiers time to heal. They're just sending them back. That's an example of linear, crazy linear stress. How about uh, if you're going through a divorce? Folks, how many of you know people that have been divorced? Some in here have been divorced. That's some crazy stress, and it seems like it goes on forever. How about victims of spousal abuse? Maybe some of you in here have been a victim of spousal abuse. You know, that's the thing. That's that's it's it's a, a very difficult thing, especially if it's ongoing. It's an ongoing thing, you just can't ever escape it. You see no way out of it. Whether it's physical or it's emotional. How about police work? How about police officers? Boy, right now, amen, Jerry. Right now, boy, police officers, I don't know how they do it. I was one and I don't know how they do it. I've got friends that I was in the academy with. Uh, one of my buddies just posted a picture of his new boat. I said, thank God, buddy. You're out of the line of fire. I'm happy about that. He was an academy man, best friend in the academy. I'm happy about that. But I have friends that I was in the academy with that are still one of my academy mates is the chief of police at the big, uh, you know, the big police agency here. So, you know, it's just it just never goes away. The political stress, the pressure, you know, the political the, the politicizing of everything never goes away they never get a break your first responders your 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 uh, EMS guys your firemen constantly never get a break never get a break how about if you're an ER doctor or a nurse right you get a little tiny bit of a lull but if you live in Chicago where there are no guns because there's great gun laws or Washington DC where there are no guns because the great gun laws are how about Baltimore, Maryland, where there are no guns because they have really great gun laws? They don't have shootings or anything like that. So those doctors don't have anything to do, maybe just car accidents. No, actually, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. How about if you live in a crime-ridden area? Right? You can't get out of there. You live in a crime-ridden area. You hear sirens every single night. You hear cans getting knocked over. You hear fighting. You hear gunshots. You hear screaming, you hear crying, you see the after effect. You come out to go to your job in the morning and you see what happened the night before, the after effect of 
people living out of fear. How about a business owner? You know, I heard I heard how great it was to be a business owner from everybody that was never a business owner. Have you ever heard that? Folks, boy, they have the opinion that you're a business owner, man. Well, you live high on the hog. It must be nice to live. Can I get an amen back there? Got a bunch of business owners in the house. Right? Oh, it's easy. You got you work your own. I only work a half day. I just get to choose which 12 hours of the day I get to work. Right? Well, you can have as many day off as, days off as you want. Well, if I don't want to eat. If I want my kids to have shoes. See, that's the thing. If people look at business owners and they say, my goodness, you've got it easy. People look at CEOs and the money that they make. Now, I don't think some of these salaries are, are ridiculous. They're just they're just wildly out of control. But you know what? A baseball player's salary is wildly out of control. A football player's salary, wildly out of control. We've allowed reason to go out the door. But here's the thing that I'm saying. If you're a business owner, you never leave the business. The business is always with you. You never leave the stress. How about homelessness? They say that that is one of the greatest stressors mankind has ever known. Homelessness. You don't know where you're going to sleep. You talk about a crazy life, climbing up underneath an oak pass or in an alley somewhere underneath some boxes, and all your worldly goods are in a bag that you carry with you everywhere you go. Now, they figure about 82% of, of the folks that are homeless have mental illness or drug problems and or drug problems. That doesn't change the fact that they're experiencing tremendous stress. How about our combat vets? Tell me how we're, we're welcoming in and giving money to, air quotes, refugees when we allow combat vets in this country to go to sleep without a warm, safe bed. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. But we're not. How about slavery? You say, well, why in the world are you bringing that up? Slavery's over with. You're right, it is. The slavery that you're thinking of, but the slavery that I'm thinking of never goes away. The slavery of living in a lack of freedom and liberty. Being in captivity, being a sufferer or a nurturer of worry or anxiety because you are a prisoner. You are captive. You don't have liberty and you don't have freedom. I want you to think, when we think about linear stress, I want you to think about a weightlifter. Right? It's that weightlifter who lifts and never puts the weight down. He or she lifts the weight up, holds it 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 up. I'm not going to put it down. I'm just lifting. I'm doing the lifting part. I'm not going to do the put-down part. After a while, what starts to happen? start to shake. The lactic acid builds up in your in your muscles. And the cortisol, the stress hormone cortisol starts surging through your body. This thing on my head is going to hurt. Eventually you have to put it down. You say, well I lifted weights for thirty minutes. I lifted the weight and held it up for thirty minutes. I'm sure going to be strong and big and powerful. What's going to happen? Not that. I'll explain why in a second. In linear stress, your body never gets a break from the stress. It never can rest. It can never heal. It can never rectify or regulate. Linear stress, folks, it kills. 
Linear stress kills. Linear stress chews up your stomach lining. Ulcers and all kinds of terrible stuff. It surges your stress hormone cortisol, and then it skyrockets your blood pressure. Then it hardens your arteries. And then it strokes you out and gives you a coronary. Along the way, you worry, and your brain starts to wash itself in chemicals and stress hormones, and it actually begins to poison itself. You can't think clearly or correctly. You make bad decisions. You only see more stress and hopelessness. Linear stress is some kind of formidable enemy, and yet there's a lot we can do to attenuate the linear stress that many of us face. God bless you. I don't want to stress you out, so I'm going to go to oscillating stress. Right? I'm oscillating the stress here. Oscillating stress is, for some people, giving us speech. Right? There's a lot of people, you all know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, man, you want me to stress out? You want me to have a heart attack? Tell me i got to give a speech. Somebody in the back saying amen. People say, That's, I'd rather die. I'd rather be tortured than give a speech. And they're not kidding around. I say this. I say this. This, this is why I say this is truth, too. I say, look, man, unless I'm the speaker, the speech won't go on forever. <laughs> the radio audience is going, how long is this broadcast? It ends, and so does the stress, right? after the, Even if you're nervous about speaking, I know this young lady in the back here was nervous about speaking for just a minute or so, introducing me, and she knows me. At her big meeting that they had, she was nervous as all get out. But guess what? Once it's over, it's over. It ends, and so does the stress. Now, I can honestly say, I don't suffer that same stress. I, I have to be honest with you. I don't get nervous. I don't know why. Not me. I, I, I like the stress. I love that, this, this speaking. I just love it. However, what gets me is the stress of trying to deal with technical issues. How many of you have been here with me and my buddy and our buddy that's now overseas? And, and everybody's up here. Remember a couple times when we, what in the world is going on with this thing? We can't figure out what's going on with this equipment. Why is it not working? And we're about to go live all across the world, and something's not working, and I'm not a tech-savvy guy? Newsflash. <laughs> that stresses me out. But eventually, it, it goes away. It gets fixed. How about the stressful job you get to leave after 8 or 10 or 12 hours? You get to go home. You get to go home, and when you're home, you get in your car, and you, you're driving home, and you say, I don't care no more about that job. What is it? Take this job and shove it. I don't work here anymore. Who was that guy? That was a big thing when I was a kid. I'm 50 now, so I don't remember his name. What was it? Yeah, I don't remember his name. Probably some people in, uh, in chat will know what it is. But that's me. I, I just, you know, I think, well, if you're at a job and you go, you're going home, you're going home. Leave it there. I see people that work for other people, and they're so stressed out. I have one particular person I love, Johnny Paycheck. Craig Peters on Johnny Paycheck. Yeah, there you go. I want to give proper attribution. Thank you, Craig. Everybody here says hi, Craig. Wes says hi. So, uh, so anyhow, see that? We have the smartest chat 
bunch? Because we know a country song. <laughs> Good land. You know, let me say this. Let me say this. I, I tell people all the time, why give your life and blood for something that doesn't live and breathe itself? If you work for a company or an organization, when it's time to come home, don't yell and scream at your family. Don't stress everybody else at home. Leave it there. Work hard while you're there. You know, I tell people a lot of times, I say, listen, you know why you're so stressed out at work? Because you don't barely work at work. Then all of a sudden, when there's 15, 20 minutes left to go in your day, suddenly light a fire under your rear end and you start to do some work. Stop with all the talking at the at the water cooler and all this mess. Just work. Get it done. Well, I hate my job, so get another job. Joblessness, that's a... That's a linear stress right there until you get another job. So don't quit your job until you have another job. That's free advice. Relationships. Listen, I don't care how good your relationship is. Relationships have stress. They come with stress. But it's it's generally not linear stress. It's generally oscillating stress because you have your good times and you have your bad. You have your good times and you have your bad. Sometimes you act like a butt. And your spouse goes, you're acting like a butt. And that's a bunch of crap. I'm not going to tolerate it. And they waggle their digit in your face and say, straighten up. And you say, well, you're wrong. They say, well, you're wrong. Then eventually, once you get old enough, you after a little while, you forget what you were arguing about. And then it's you're right back to, we're good now. But relationships, no matter what, they come with stress. To give you a weightlifting reference because I already talked about the fellow that lifts the weight in the linear stress. He lifts it up and he holds it up. Let's say you lift a weight 8 to 10 repetitions with a reasonably heavy weight. You know, it's it's hard enough for you to lift that you have to strain a little bit. But you can get it up there, but then you have to, after a little bit, after holding it just a little bit, you let it back down and you breathe and you rest, and then you lift it up. You do a little more every time, a little bit more every time. Then you put the weight down for a day or so, let your body heal. That's oscillating stress. Your muscles get stressed, and what do they do? They improve, they grow, they strengthen. They adapt to the stress, and they, during the oscillation, repair and grow. The question is, where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? At some point, we have to face the deepest facts of our lives, the things that scare us but won't actually hurt us. You know, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the stuff that scares us, that won't hurt us. Because, you know, that'll age you. Put some wrinkles on your face. No amount of fancy wrinkle cream or Botox or whatever else you shouldn't be shooting in your face. Uh, you, you know, no amount of that, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about crushing fear of something that can and will do you in. You know, some say I'm a mean counselor. I have mean talk. I have I have bad mean talk as a counselor. And some folks have actually sat in front of me and said, you know, you're the meanest, sourest counselor I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard anybody say the things to me that you say. Look, I'm all about gentle and kind and telling the truth about my counselee situation. But let me tell you, fluffy talk will get you nowhere but poor and still dysfunctional. You know, I had a counselee tell me one time that they'd been to 15 counselors before me, expert on counseling because they'd been to 15 counselors. You are wrong, Dr. Sean, because I have been to 15 counselors before you, and guess what? None of them said what you said. 
I have never had a counselor say to me what you said. I said, hey, tell you what, how about we just try something here? You do exactly what I tell you to do, how I tell you to do it, when I tell you to do it, for as long as I tell you to do it, and see if your life doesn't change. I could be the 16th and final counselor for you. Let's fix this. Let's be finished with it. Sometimes we have to face the facts of the fear. Positive self-talk, listen, it can certainly help a bad situation. It is beneficial. Positive self-talk is beneficial when everything isn't on the line. Because some positive self-talk is just a bunch of crap, as Uncle Kerry used to say. Uncle Kerry said at the, said at the uh, memorial service yesterday, somebody stood up and said, you know, my dad used to say, well, that's crap. And people say, well, can you say crap in a sermon? And that's where I got it from my Uncle Kerry. That's where I got I say the word crap. It's a very descriptive word. I don't charge anybody any extra for that either. So, but positive self-talk, sometimes we tell us stuff. We say, self, you can jump from here seven rows back in the air without your feet touching the ground. Self, you can eat five platefuls and not gain weight. Self, you have high blood pressure and, and you're sick all the time. You can't barely move. Your joints are hurting. But you can have another plate of this or that. Self, you know, I'm going to just do it tomorrow. I'll just do it tomorrow. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. New start. New start tomorrow. And I'm going to be happy about it. I'm going to work hard at it. Self, that pain that you have in your pancreas area, that digestive issue that you have, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. God's got this. And then it turns out to be cancer. My friend tomorrow, someone I've known high school years, knew her real well, 51 years old, dead one year after being diagnosed with colon cancer, being buried tomorrow. No amount of positive self-talk is going to help that. Listen, folks, don't mistake prayer and believing in prayer and communing and communicating with God for positive self-talk. Don't mistake that if you lie to yourself, and I'm not saying sometimes the self-talk needs to be harsh. You need to be hard on yourself. The reason why other people have to be hard on you sometimes is because you're busy being fluffy on yourself. What if your life is on the line? Wouldn't you want to know the truth? Nobody better to tell you the truth. Nobody better to tell you the truth than you. If you can't tell yourself the truth, nobody else will. They say, hey, I can lie to this person because this person lies to themselves all the time. How about when your family's on the line? How about your next breath? What do you do then? Where do you go when there's nowhere left to run from fear? It's a whole different issue altogether. Being positive is certainly better. But that can't be what we do. It's ultimately not what we need to survive and thrive. There's a conservative blogger. We don't have much time left. Conservative blogger. I don't I don't read many. Oh, wait, I am a blogger now. Yeah, I do read bloggers. I am a blogger. Uh, crosswalk.com, that's not my blog. The, the Minority Report blog uh, is, is mine. But uh, crosswalk.com blogger Debbie McDaniel reminds us about her fears and how God deals with fear for her. Some people's biggest fear is being vulnerable. But this young lady has clearly conquered the fear of being vulnerable. She's not very old. She's a young young person. I want to read to you pretty much verbatim, except for when I interrupt myself. Fear, one of the enemy's most popular weapons that he uses against us. Worry, anxiety, fear. It can overwhelm us 
with a thick shadow of darkness, controlling our every move and our every decision. There's so much crazy going on around us today. Wars, conflicts, persecution, violence, crime, natural disasters, terrorism, economic uncertainty, unemployment, divisions, disease, and death. We fear our children's future. We fear for our families. We fear for our financial future. We fear for our safety. The list goes on, and that list is long. There actually is a lot we could potentially worry about. Yet reality tells us that so much of what we spend our time worrying about never even happens. Let me remind you of an exchange some weeks back. This is me talking, by the way. Um, when there was a group uh, on the University of Delaware campus who was saying that someone hung nooses. Now, this is a, a an habitually aggrieved group of folks, and they were claiming that these little metal wires, now I don't know if you see from the pictures, but these wires were literally this big. They were literally this big, four inches, total in length. But they claimed that those wires from Japanese lanterns, which by the time they started making these claims repeatedly, they knew they were from Japanese lanterns, were actually nooses left to intimidate them. This is what they claimed. They were shown how they are not nooses, but the hangers from these Japanese lanterns. They said it doesn't matter what you say. They were focusing on the monsters under the bed, but there were never any monsters under the bed, but they still insisted on their belief in the monsters under the bed, even though, say it with me, there were no monsters under the bed. Their argument was, and still is, if I believe that there were monsters under the bed, even if there aren't any monsters under the bed, then my reality is reality, that there are indeed monsters under the bed. Listen, listen, folks, living under the weight of what-ifs, I'm back to her now. Living under the weight of what-ifs is a hard place as well. Listen, if your whole life, this is me again, if your whole life is my land, what if this happens? What if that happens? Am I making the wrong decision? Am I doing the wrong thing? Listen, folks, you've got to know what you believe in. You have to know what your core values are. You have to know what you stand for. You have to know in whom you have believed and know that he is able. You have to know. You have to, sometimes you have to pull the trigger. Sometimes you have to fire. Sometimes you have to know because it's time to know. Back to her. I struggled with fear and worry for years, but through time I began to find that the things that once would have sent me down an anxious spiral no longer had the same effect. It didn't happen quickly, but over days, months, and years. I read words of life, of truth, soaking them in over and over, praying them out loud until they became so familiar they replaced the other things in my mind that I'd battled against. There's nothing magical about words and verses, but there is power through them because they are God's words. Change happened. Anxious thoughts began to diminish. Worry let go of its constant grip, and although fear is some, sometimes still there, it no longer wields control, holding me back, paralyzing me in its grasp. His words are life words, soothing to our soul, calming to our spirits, giving power to our days. It's not always easy, and it often comes down to a choice, choosing not to allow fear and anxiety to control your life. Choosing. You make a choice not to allow fear and anxiety to control your life. 
choosing to guard your heart, choosing to focus your mind on what is the truth in the midst of uncertain times. We might still feel afraid, but we can believe that God is with us. We, not, we may not be in control, but we can trust the one who is. We may not know the future, but we can know the God who does know the future. Listen, next week I'm going to give you 33 verses, very powerful verses, but I'm going to give you one for free just now, just to whet your appetite. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. You're going to get 32 more verses next week, free of charge at no cost or obligation to you. Free to listen to this blog it's also, or listen to this show. It's also free to tell your friends. Folks, you don't have to live in fear. You don't. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a rough, crazy world. It's a crazy, crazy world. The lady I, I met last week, she told me, she said, she said, why do I have to fear? I said, aren't you afraid you're going to miss something? What do I have to fear? Why do I fear? I either believe God or I don't. Don't you think you need to know? Can I even know all the stuff that's going on in this world? No. You can't know all the stuff. You just can't know all the stuff. So why worry? One thing you can know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the one who does know. The one who does have control. The one who set the world into place. If you know him, there is no need for fear. Grab your Bible. If you're not this week, I'm saying grab your Bible this week. If your Bible is in a place you don't know where it is, grab your Bible. Take it with you everywhere you go this week. Spend 15 minutes a day just reading his word and praying. 15 minutes. That's so easy. So easy. Watch and see if worry doesn't start to go away. Join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I'll be glad to have you with us. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.